0: If you've been with us the past couple weeks, you'll know that uh, during the Lenten season we've been uh, intentionally walking slowly through the final week of Jesus Christ through the, arm, through the eyes of the gospel writer Mark. We saw Jesus triumphantly enter Jerusalem uh, on Sunday. Uh, we saw him turning over tables on Monday. Uh, when Tuesday came along, we saw him tangling with the Jewish religious authorities, and Jesus commonly had that. He Tangled with the most religious of the culture of his day. And by Wednesday, we saw an incredible act of betrayal and also an incredible act of love. And today, this morning, we come to Thursday. And there's so much packed into Thursday, we're going to look at it actually in two weeks. But as as one commentator wrote, when we come to Thursday, we begin to see the, the noose tightening around Jesus as the cross is looming. So this morning, I'm going to read uh, Mark chapter 14, uh, verses 12 uh, to 25. You can follow along in your bulletin or just listen. Mark writes this, On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. The disciples set out and went to the city, and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born." in the kingdom of God. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we hear a lot of voices, voices that that crowd our minds. But this morning, Father, we want to hear your voice. So may your spirit speak to us through your scripture. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but uh, I'd encourage you to think about it now. Have you ever thought about the importance of sharing meals in our culture if you really think about it sharing meals is an important part of everyday life in our culture today when we want to show some hospitality to a stranger someone we don't know or someone that's moved into the neighborhood what do we do we invite them over and we share a meal with them we mark birthdays with special meals we date potential spouses by doing what by going out to dinner with them, and if things go really well, what do we do? We celebrate with a really big meal, with a wedding feast. I, uh, I, I searched this on the, on the web uh, this week, and I, I found out that the average cost of a wedding, all those fathers of daughters out there... The average cost of a wedding today in America is $27,000. Isn't that outrageous how much that costs? But after all, it is a special meal. Thanksgiving, Easter, Christmas, all of these meals are elaborate meals that are often steeped in all sorts of family culture and family traditions. And really, if you look throughout history, it's always been this way. In Jesus' day, uh, wedding feasts could take up to a week of celebrations. Uh, If you look at the ancient Rome, they would have elaborate feasts that would often involve 50 courses to those feasts. If you looked at the the Medici family uh, and the French royalty in the 1600s, they were also known for their elaborate feasts of celebration. And some of these feasts, some of these meals, have an incredibly uh, culture-shaping impact in our world as well. Read a story this week uh, about a meal that happened in 1994. In 1994, uh, all the, the the directors of Pixar. Have you ever heard of Pixar before? The the children's animation film company. Uh, they all got together because their their company was really struggling. They weren't sure where they were going to make it. This was before uh, the movie Toy Story came out, which was their first big hit. And uh, so all the the brain trust of Pixar says, "Let's go out for 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 one lunch together and let's just brainstorm. Let's brainstorm." what we should do with our company. And so they they got to this meal and they all all sat around and and everybody sat sat and and drew pictures on napkins as they sat at this lunch. And out of those pictures, out of those scribbles, came four movies. I wrote them down. Um, A Bug's Life, WALL-E, Finding Nemo, and Monsters, Inc. All came out of one lunch of scribbling images on a napkin. Now, if you look at the Bible, it's really no different. Uh, Significant meals litter the scriptures. They are all over the place. But in the scriptures, they are packed with all sorts of meaning. Sure, there's, there's physical hunger being satisfied. That's true of every meal. But in the scriptures, they are full of spiritual meaning, mostly because they are often connected with the promises of God. And this meal in the Gospel of Mark, the, the meal that Jesus shared with his followers, is no different. It is packed with spiritual significance because it is connected to the promises of God. And what this meal does is it, is it uniquely looks backwards and forwards as it exemplifies the promises of God. So quickly what I want to do is, is look backwards and forwards at the promises pictured the promises fulfilled and then finally the promises consummated the first to look at is the promise pictured from the passover meal verse 16 and the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them and they prepared the passover you see this this last meal carried great spiritual significance particularly for the Jewish people, and that was the context in which Jesus did most of his ministry. You see, thousands of years before Jesus, the Jewish people were considered to be an oppressed people group. They were a, a slave race that, that lived under the cruel thumb of the Egyptian pharaohs. And for years, for hundreds of years, they cried out for a deliverer and and God raises up a deliverer. He pulls Moses off the bench who was hiding in the wilderness because he was a fugitive. He pulls Moses off the bench and says, you are going to be the great deliverer of the Jewish people. Of course, Moses rides into Egypt riding on a donkey, just like Jesus did, riding on a donkey, and he sets off a a series of plagues to bring the judgment of God upon the Egyptian people and secure the release of the Jewish people. But, But none of the plagues work until the very last plague. And in that last plague, God promises to send the angel of death through the streets of Egypt to strike down the firstborn son of every family. But Israel, the Jewish people, would be protected. They would be protected from this last plague, this angel of death, if they followed very careful instructions. They were told by God that they needed to to sacrifice a lamb and to take the blood of that lamb and to, to, to put it across their doorpost. And if they did that, then they would be protected from this angel of death. They were also instructed that they needed to prepare unleavened bread or bread that had not risen as food that they were to take on the journey that they were about to engage in. Of course, if you read the book of Exodus, you'll know that God comes through on his promises and the Israelites were delivered miraculously from their oppressor. And for centuries, the Jewish people would remember this event. They were to celebrate it each year, and they were to celebrate it by practicing a meal, the Passover meal. So every time they celebrated this Passover meal, they would be reminded of two things very powerfully every time they remembered this. They would remember that God was their ultimate deliverer, and they would remember that blood was shed to protect them from death. This event instituted a a covenant of blood inaugurating a solemn agreement between God and his people. So thousands of years later, in Jesus' day, the Jews would sacrifice a lamb around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then later, they would take that lamb and share a late evening meal with one another in the context of someone's home, And they would remember this event. This defining event in their history would be rehearsed in their midst. But this Passover meal, the one we read this morning, this Passover meal, the one that Jesus spent with his friends that evening, carried more significance than anyone in the room realized. Except for Jesus, who perfectly knew what was about to happen. About eight years ago, I had the chance to, to go on a trip to Acapulco, Mexico. I took a, a group of, uh, I think it was 50 uh, high school students and volunteers to Mexico, and we were going to, to, to serve in an orphanage in Acapulco, and uh, we spent the week there uh, serving alongside uh, these orphans and, and getting to know them and, and being in relationship with them, and it was amazing how, how fast these relationships developed over our week there. And the week went very quickly, and it was the last evening. We were going to fly home the next day, and we were starting to get a little sad because of all the relationships that we developed. So what did we do? We threw a party. And actually, I should say they threw a party for us, a good old-fashioned Mexican fiesta. And... Uh, they, they came out in traditional uh, 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 Mexican dress and they did special Mexican dances for us. And, and we ate and we danced and we danced and we ate all through the evening. And it was just a special time, not just because of the, the food and the dance and the experience, but because there was an urgency to it, because we were leaving the next day and there was a very real possibility that we would never see these kids again. It was a special night. Imagine for a moment what Jesus must have felt during this last meal. He knew that this would be uh, the last time he would sit around this table with these people that he spent three years with, at least in this form. And, And all the emotions involved would have been very real for Jesus as he shared this last meal. But it was significant for so many different reasons. Because that evening, we not just see a promise remembered, but we also see a promise fulfilled. Verse 22, as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. So while Jesus is is sitting at this Passover meal, it tells us he takes bread and and he breaks it and he gives it to his friends and he says, take and eat. Mark uses this very same language, these very same verbs in the the story of feeding of the 5,000, but he adds something unique here when Jesus says, take, this is my body. You see, bread would be particularly symbolic for the Jewish people. It was considered to be the, the material basis of existence, the basic building block for life. And Jesus takes this bread and he breaks it and he tells them that it is his body. And he alone that evening knew exactly what this lived parable meant, what was exa- exactly was about to happen. Because just hours later, Jesus would be arrested. What Mark tells us is they arrest Jesus, they blindfold him, they mock him, and they beat him. Just hours later, a crown of thorns would be taken and would be beaten into the brow of Jesus Christ. His body would be broken. Jesus then takes wine. This is my blood, the sign of the new covenant, a new promise, he says. And his friends, as he was saying this, were most likely clueless. Why is is Jesus calling the wine blood? Well, only Jesus knew exactly what he meant when he said these words. Only Jesus knew that hours later, blood would begin pouring out of his head because of the thorns. That just 24 hours later, blood would be shed from his hands and from his feet and from his side. You see, this bread and wine would be a sign of a new promise. Just as the Passover signaled deliverance and blood as protection, Jesus' blood and his body would signal the ultimate deliverance and the ultimate protection. You see, Jesus' blood shed on our behalf would be the deliverance we need from sin and from death. His blood became the ultimate covering, the ultimate satisfaction of God's anger and wrath. He would be the once and for all sacrifice, the lamb that was led to slaughter. Only Jesus that evening had the words of Isaiah 53 echoing in his mind. Yet is the will of the Lord to crush him. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You see, this is the story of another firstborn son, the ultimate firstborn son who would die so that his people could be delivered. Friends, when we, when we celebrate the table each week as we do here at City Church, we remember his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. And we're to cling to that promise, cling to all the promises that are signified in this table, in this meal. And we are called to cling to those promises until the promises are consummated. In the final wedding feast, verse twenty-five. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Uh, my wife and I, Beck, Beck and I, are coming up on our fourteenth year anniversary, which is which is hard to believe that that almost fourteen years ago uh, we were married. But I have to tell you, people are still talking about our wedding. It was that much fun. Uh, people still talk about how fun our wedding was. I, I, had, I have to say, I take no praise for this. I, had zero, I take zero credit for the substance of our wedding. I took a very hands-off approach when it came to planning our wedding, but it was great fun. We didn't have it here in Maryland. We had it up in New Jersey, where my wife is originally from. And, I, and I, this is no exaggeration. People danced for four hours at our wedding, which is remarkable because I hate to dance. I didn't do much dancing, but a lot of other people did. And finally, after four years l- later, we, we almost had to shut the lights down. We had to ask people to leave. Okay, the party's over, right? We, y'all need to go home now. That's how fun that our wedding really was. Well, friends, it is by no accident that heaven is described as a great party. Heaven is described as a great wedding feast. And Jesus even says in the scriptures that he goes to prepare a place for us, which means Jesus now is getting the celebration ready for his people. Heaven will be the final consummation of the promises of God, where we will be wed to God and fully celebrate that wedding for all of eternity. Somehow we've got locked into this picture that heaven is going to be a 24-hour worship service full of organs and kneeling and up and down. And, and while worship is going to be an essential part of what heaven is, heaven is more often described as a great celebration. The celebration will be so great that it will overshadow and overwhelm all of the best of earthly celebrations that you have ever participated in. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we share this meal together, clinging to the promises of God. The unleavened bread in the original Passover meal was considered to be food for the journey. And as we gather each week and celebrate this table, we view this as food for the journey. It's a weekly reminder of the grace that will carry us to the final wedding feast. We eat and we drink now, but we live for that ultimate wedding feast. So do you hunger and thirst for that final celebration? Do you hunger and thirst to be free from the oppression of sin and death? Do you spend your time and energy on food and drink that does not satisfy? J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, was one of my favorite quotes that he ever said. He said this, If more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, it would be a much merrier world. Friends, the the invitation has been made. Come to Jesus. Eat and drink. Be satisfied by the grace that is found in his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. Place your trust not in what you have done, but on what he has done for you. Be nourished, be satisfied. Just like manna in the Old Testament descended from heaven, so God came down and Jesus became our bread for life. Let's pray.